Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. Good morning. It is so good to see you. Last week's block party was so much fun, so thank you. I had some very good friends visiting from Pennsylvania, and they were here for worship and for the block party, and I spoke with them afterwards, and they were so touched, delighted by your warmth and hospitality. Patrick, they said, at least three different times, members of the church came up and spoke to us. They were very moved. So, so thank you for making that such a wonderful day. Next Sunday, we will have a guest preacher, a very close friend of mine. His name is Mark Tisworth. Uh, some of us are reading his book. His focus these days is uh, helping churches make the transition from what was to what might be. He is the founder of a church consulting group. I'm a member of that group. We now have about 20 consultants in the group. He's very warm, he's very articulate, and he's very, very insightful. So I hope you'll join us next Sunday at 9 o'clock for Sunday School via Zoom, preaching during the service, and then afterwards he will speak to us also about the many transitions that churches are encountering today. And of course, as Beverly already mentioned, this afternoon at 4 o'clock, we will celebrate the ordination of Ms. Chesna Hinckley. I do hope you will be here. Since it is the day of her ordination, I, I, I have been thinking about women, and particularly about strong women. And so the passage of scripture I would like to read for you this morning comes to us from the second chapter of Exodus. And it is a passage about, guess what, strong women. My friends, listen once again to the word of God. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the child went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. 
When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In November of 1993, after years of planning, 2,200 people gathered for a conference in Minneapolis, Minnesota. They came from 29 nations, 49 states, and 16 denominations. They gathered in Minneapolis for a conference called the Reimagining Conference. I imagine that some of you here today might remember the Reimagining Conference. Any of you remember that from 1993? The purpose of the conference was to explore Christian faith in a way that takes seriously the experiences and perspectives of women. It meant to promote equality between men and women around the world and to challenge the subordination of women. The people who participated, mostly women, said that it was a very positive and powerful week. The participants, however, were women. And you know, we just can't have a bunch of women getting together and doing much serious talking about Jesus. They pushed the envelope, theologically and biblically, to understand the unique experiences of women as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when word about this conference spread out to the rest of the denomination, people were angry, furious, heresy, they said, paganism, they said, and so presbyteries around the country began to hold special meetings to decide what are we going to do about this outrage? We have had all these women getting together and they are promoting paganism. My presbytery was one of the presbyteries that got together. And passions were running strong on both sides. Uh, there were some who said they are heretics and should be punished. Others said, no, 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 they're taking seriously the gift of women to the church. And back and forth it went. And the organizers of this presbytery meeting, uh, to ensure decorum and order, set up a system so that people would come forward and speak five minutes on one position and five minutes on the other position. And it worked throughout the meeting until we got to the end. My mentor, who had just retired as the executive presbyter a couple of years earlier, walked in just as the meeting was beginning and he sat down on the front pew right beside Anne. And he put his arm on the pew and he just kind of looked up uh-huh, checked everything out. And throughout the meeting, he listened as both sides went at it. And then the moderator stood up. Each side only had five minutes each. And the moderator stood up and said, would anybody else like to speak this evening? And Tom looked around again. No one raised a hand. Uh, one final time, one final time. Uh, does anybody want to stand up and speak to the issue tonight? Well, seeing no one, 
And at that moment, Tom stood up and said, Mr. Moderator. And he got to the pulpit and he said, I know that there is a five minute limit, but no one's going to make me sit down. And I've got a few things to say. Tom had been a powerful proponent of women throughout his ministry. And he, I wish we had it recorded, he got on a roll that night celebrating the people in the history of the church who have always pushed the envelope to help people to come to faith, to walk more faithfully as disciples of Jesus Christ. I can see him now. Uh, his face uh, is getting a little bit red with his white hair, and he's lifting his fists in the air, and he says something like, and thank God for people like John Knox and John Calvin who pushed the envelope. And thank God for people like Martin Luther and Martin Luther King who pushed the envelope. Well, he would offer about 15 minutes. And I forgot what we decided to do. The whole thing just sort of blew over a little bit later. Unfortunately, some people lost their jobs because these women wanted to get together and explore what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And sometimes we just can't have a bunch of women getting together because when women get together, no telling what might happen. And even though he didn't say it that evening, Tom could have said, in addition to John Knox and John Calvin, Mark Luther and Mark Luther King, he could have said, and think also about the women that we encounter in the second chapter of Exodus. I wish he had said that. For when we read the second chapter of Exodus, we encounter women, wonderful women, strong women, subversive women who are dedicated to serving God faithfully. Let's set the stage. Centuries had passed since Joseph and his brothers had descended to Egypt in search of food in the midst of a horrible famine. The years go by. The Hebrews in Egypt begin to multiply. They have more and more and more children, and the Egyptians get very, very uncomfortable. Uh, what are we going to do uh, with these, these, these people, these Hebrews in our midst? If we are attacked, if we go into war, they will turn against us. Uh, what will we do? And so Pharaoh said, Whenever a Hebrew child is born, if it is a girl, let them live. But if it is a boy, kill him. It was a royal edict, an imperial decree, a direct order, and yet the midwives did not obey Pharaoh. They were non-compliant. And when word got back to Pharaoh that these Hebrew boys were living, he, what's going on? And then the midwives, these Hebrew midwives said, oh, you, well, Pharaoh, you don't understand that when these children are born, they are so strong, they live, and they're born before we even get there. And Pharaoh said, well, in that case, here's another imperial edict, another royal decree. If any of you should come across a Hebrew boy, a child killing. So let it be written, so let it be done. 
a woman has a baby. And she keeps it secret from her neighbors, lest any of them be an informant. And she keeps it secret from the overseers. And she nurtures this baby for three months. And then she gets a papyrus basket and puts pitch in it so it will be able to float on the water. By the way, the word for basket here in this chapter of Exodus is the same Hebrew word that we have for ark in the story of Noah's ark. Just as God had provided for Noah, now God is going to provide for Moses. And she put, she put the baby into this papyrus basket and put it in the water by the reeds. And Miriam, Moses' sister, followed along. Pharaoh's daughter went down to the river, found the basket. This must be a child of the Hebrews. And then Miriam, this slave, this nobody, this child without a voice has the temerity to go to the daughter of Pharaoh, a somebody, and say, uh, shall I go get for you a woman to nurse the child? Where did she ever get strength like that to talk that directly to the daughter of Pharaoh? And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, yes, go, go. And so Miriam goes and gets their mother and brings the mother back. And then the mother raises Moses for a few more months, maybe even a few years. We're not sure how long. And then gives the baby back to Pharaoh's daughter. It's very, very clear what is expected of the Hebrews in this passage. It's very, very clear what is expected politically of the Hebrews in this passage. Uh, the midwives are to kill the Hebrew boys. Do they do that? No. They are strong, subversive women. Moses' mother does not kill her son. Who is she? She is a strong, subversive woman. Miriam has the gumption to speak directly to Pharaoh's daughter. She does not kill Moses. Uh, who is Miriam? Miriam is a strong, subversive little girl. And then Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter does not put to death this child. Pharaoh's daughter, too, is a strong, subversive woman. woman. I, I don't know where we ever got the idea that women should be meek and mild and demure. Historically, I think the Victorian era had a lot to do with it. But I'm really not sure where we ever got this notion that women should be weak and demure because when we turn to the pages of Scripture, we find women like we find in the pages of the second chapter of Exodus. Strong women, defiant women, who are willing to stand up even to the political military might and say, no, we will not do this. We will follow our God instead. I, I have sometimes wondered, Lord, why did you call Moses to deliver your people? God, Moses had a lot of strikes against him. He was a murderer. 
God, Moses was not a good public speaker. He had a, a speech impediment, and yet you called him to go down to Egypt? And he, Moses goes down to Egypt, and he talks face to face, eyeball to eyeball with the Pharaoh. Where, where did he get the strength to do that? Where, I'm wondering, where did Moses get the kind of uh, internal fortitude, the, the kind of spiritual conviction, that self-confidence to go and confront an empire? And, and I, I have to go back to the women. That Moses' character had been shaped by strong, subversive women. And because his character had been shaped by strong, subversive women, Moses was able to be faithful. Where did Jesus, I wonder where Jesus might have gotten some of his strength. I mean, some people might say, I would say on occasion, well, look at his daddy. Uh, when you have God as your daddy, you, you might be bound to have some strength. But I would rather look at Mary who says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and then stands up and sings out on behalf of the powerless and the weak and sings the good news that the hungry will be filled with good things. Maybe, maybe this strong, defiant woman, this strong, subversive woman by the name of Mary shaped Jesus' character and gave him the strength he needed to confront the pharaohs of his day. Women, as you might know, wanted to follow Jesus. We often assume that when Jesus went about from village to village, he, he was followed by 12 men, and yet that's true, but if we, read, if we read Scripture carefully, we'll see that a lot of women also followed Jesus. Uh, Luke Chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 says that many women followed Jesus and they provided for Jesus and the disciples out of their own resources. And I wonder, what do you think? What do you think their friends and their family thought of them as they went from village to village and town to town throughout Galilee following Jesus? Oh, oh can you hear them now? Oh, I can hear them. I can hear the neighbors and I can hear the brothers and the cousins going, oh, wasteful. Uh, sacrilege, disgusting, Th that's not a woman's place. It was like when I was advising a congregational nominating, com nominating committee many, many years ago, and someone nominated a, wo nominated a woman in the congregation, and another woman, it, it was a woman who said, no, 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 that's not a woman's place. We should have women elected as elders. We should not ordain women in the Presbyterian church. I was like, oh, no, really? You, 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 you actually believe that? No. No, 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 no. These women followed Jesus around and supported him in a time in which that was forbidden. A time in which women were not allowed to be seen in public with a man or talked to with a man in public. And so what I'm inviting you to do this morning is that when we read about the midwives, and Moses' mother, and Miriam, and the daughter of Pharaoh this morning, to try to get sort of deep down in our spirits what's really going on here. Think of women like Harriet Tubman. Think of women like Susan B. Anthony. 
Think of women like Rosa Parks. Think of those women in your life who have shaped you into the person you are today. Someone asked me a few months ago, well, Patrick, tell me, who are you? And I said, well, basically, uh, uh, sorry, but what you see is what you get, and, and that's all there is to it. But I did go on and to explain that, well, I have been shaped by two particular women my two grandmothers, who were extraordinarily strong. We, we don't have time for me to share their story today, but both of them, because of the unfortunate deaths of their husbands, raised their families. My father and his four brothers and sisters were raised by his mother, who went to work third shift in a cotton mill to provide for her children. And my mother's mother, upon the death of her husband, when my mother was still in high school, went back to become a teacher to support her family. They thought that financially they were okay and the house was paid for and they would be fine. It turns out that was not the case at all. Can you tell that I've got a... I love strong, subversive women. I love women, period. But I really love strong, subversive women, for they have shaped who I am. And when I read the pages of Scripture, I see, oh my gosh, look what these strong, subversive women have done. I think it was about 10 years ago, Deb and I, of course, were living in Pennsylvania. And we drove to Metuchen, New Jersey, and got on a, plane, a train coming to the city to watch a matinee showing of Jersey Boys. I love Jersey Boys. I love the music of the Four Seasons. I've seen it three times now, but that was the second time that I had seen it. It was a wonderful production. Afterwards, we got something to eat, went back to Metuchen, got on the train, and started heading out. And we were packed. You know how these trains can get at the end of the day. The, the, the train was packed. People were standing up, and Deb and I were standing up, we kind of standing like this, and I'll look right here to my left, and there's a woman. And as some of you know, I'm horrible at estimating ages, particularly of women. And I, I'm not sure how old she was. Uh, I say 85, she could have been 87, she could have been 83, and she's standing up right beside me. And I look. Beside her are two men in their 20s sitting down. And I'm thinking, this is not right. This 85-year-old woman is standing up, and these two young men in their 20s are sitting down. And so I turned to the woman. I did not want to embarrass her. And I said, may I find a seat for you? And when I said that, another woman over here I think she was in her 30s, sitting right here, stood up immediately and said, here, she can have my seat. And the two men kept sitting down. But this woman popped up, and the woman said, thank you, thank you very much, and she sat down. And I, but I'm, I'm paying a little bit of attention to this. I'm spellbound by it. And so I, I say to the woman, oh, what kind of work do you do? I'm a tax accountant. Nice. 
I take it you drive in and out of the city, you come by train every day? Yes. Do you enjoy it? Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Great, great. May I ask you another question? Sure. Why did you stand up and give your seat to this other woman? And she was a bit taken back by that. I said, well, if she was older. It's the right thing to do. I said, oh, I understand that, but, but I'm wondering, why did you do that? And she never really answered the question. We, we chatted, but you know what my guess is? is that her character had also been shaped by some strong, subversive women. And when she saw another human being in need, she stood up and did the right thing. What I want to leave you today, what I want to leave you with today, is just appreciation and gratitude for strong, subversive women in our society. Thank God for strong, subversive women who stand up that others might be able to sit down. Thank God for strong, subversive women who stand up and speak out the truth when they have been sexually harassed in the workplace. Thank God for those women. Thank God for strong, subversive women who stand up as single parents and do everything in their power to provide for their children. Thank God for women like that. Thank God for strong, subversive women who, in this increasingly handmade tale world, stand up and proclaim to the world that my body belongs to me. Thank God for women like that. Thank God for women like Mary, the mother of Jesus, who stood up and sang about the powerless and the weak and rejoiced in God, filling the hungry with good things. Thank God for those women. Thank God for women who stand up and protest the abuse and murder of women every day in our society at the hands of their boyfriends and their husbands. Thank God for women like that. Thank God for the women who got up and stood up at the break of dawn and went to the tomb to anoint their dear friend Jesus and who became, who became the first witnesses and the first apostles to the resurrection. Thank God for women who stand up. Amen.